And one of the features I really love about my phone is the reminders about pictures from the past. Yesterday, I got a reminder of pictures from a Christmas Eve celebration 16 years ago, and it was wonderful. Those pictures brought back memories of the people who I gathered with, the food that we ate, and what we all looked like back then. As we celebrate Christmas, we are looking back at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that look back should remind us that tis the season to remember the faithfulness of our Savior. We see this faithfulness in the birth of Jesus, which fulfilled the promise that God had made centuries before through the prophet Isaiah. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. God was faithful in sending his son, who was born so that he could later die on a cross. Why was this necessary? Why would God do such a thing? We must understand that God created all of us to be in perfect relationship with him for all eternity. However, that perfect relationship has been broken due to our sin, which is our rebellion against God and our failure to live obediently before him. The penalty for our rebellion is death, both physical and eternal spiritual death. However, God loved the world so much that he sent his only son to pay the penalty for our sins by dying on a cross and then rising from the grave three days later. He did this so that we could be forgiven. He did this so our relationship with God could be restored. He did this so that we could receive eternal life. Jesus faithfully carried out the plan by leaving heaven to be born into this world. He carried out this plan by going to the cross, and there he defeated sin and death, and he rose showing that victory that he had. I'd like to share with you this evening two ways that our Savior's faithfulness should encourage us. First, the faithfulness of our Savior reminds us that we can trust God's plans. Why do we trust someone? We trust them because they are trustworthy, because we know that they will keep their promises. The Bible is full of God's promises to us, and Christmas is one of many reminders that God keeps his promises. The timing may not be perfect in our eyes, and it may not work out exactly as we had hoped, but his faithfulness in the past should lead us to trust that he will be faithful in the future. Is there an area in your life right now where it's difficult to trust in God's plans? Are you going through a trial that's so difficult that you wonder if God really is faithful? 
as we celebrate Christmas. Consider how Jesus' birth showed that God is faithful to his promises, even to the point where he was willing to give his only son. Because God is faithful, we can trust him. Secondly, the faithfulness of our Savior gives us hope. The hope, this hope is more than just wanting something to happen. Christian hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he promises. It's our hope that leads us to believe that God works all things together for our good and for his glory. God's hope fills us with joy and peace, even when we're going through trials. As we celebrate Christmas, what is an area of your life where you can apply that hope as you remember the faithfulness of our Savior? As we celebrate Christmas and look back to the birth of Jesus, may we remember the faithfulness of our Savior. At this time, I'd like to call up Bob and Vicky Palumba to share their testimony. Merry Christmas Eve to, uh, to all of you, church family. It's a privilege to be here. I have two examples of God's uh, faithfulness to share with you tonight. My Italian and Irish ancestors immigrated to the United States over a century ago. I was raised in a Roman Catholic home and attended Catholic grammar school. I knew that I was a sinner and that according to Catholic uh, teaching, I would have to suffer for some of my own sins after death in a temporary place called purgatory until such a time that I was pure enough to enter heaven. But by God's mercy and faithfulness, I eventually heard the true gospel that Christ paid the full price for my sin and any sort of self-purification is just not possible. I remember first listening to expository preaching when I attended college at Cal Poly. I was invited to hear a pastor preach verse by verse through the Gospel of John. I had never heard such clear Christ-centered preaching uh, before in which I understood that Christ died for all my sins. Later, I read uh, a book, The Intercession of Christ, A Complete Savior, a book written by Puritan John Bunyan, based on Hebrews 7.25, which says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Bunyan clearly explained Christ's priesthood, his once-for-all full atonement, his intercession and other gospel truths. Perhaps I would not have embraced these truths with such excitement had I not been taught a man-made works salvation. Praise to our God, who did not leave me to deal with my own sin, but sent Christ to make a full, once for all, full atonement for my sin. And praise to him who plainly explained this to us in the scripture. Great is his faithfulness. Um, and so I experienced God's faithfulness once again as he brought me through a refining trial 
when I first graduated from college. I had planned to work for a small uh, uh, a company in a rural town in Northern California. I was to be part of an exciting fuel cell electric car project. Our objective was to build a fuel cell and install it in an electric car and demonstrate its performance by driving it around the country. I found electrochemistry to be a fascinating technology. I was there about a week or two and attended a church about 45 minutes away. My employer knew that I had plans to attend that church, which was some distance from our work site. But when I expressed interest in also attending a church immediately adjacent to our work site, he became very concerned. Our small facility was not zoned for working with chemicals associated with batteries and fuel cells. My employer told me that I should not attend that church for fear that the community would raise concerns once they found out what we were doing in our project. I was very troubled. That night I read in Isaiah, uh, my conviction grew stronger. I think almost any verse of scripture would have convicted me. I knew what I had to do. The next day, I had a very emotional discussion with my employer. I simply was not willing to let my employer tell me where I should attend church. So I left my opportunity to develop technologies in electrochemistry. Uh, I returned to Los Angeles and began a career in aerospace and joined a Bible-believing church in Redondo Beach. God faithfully provided a career, a church, and when I started work at Rockwell, I met my wife. And in a few days, we will celebrate 40 years of marriage, and throughout our years together, we have faced various trials and difficulties, which at first we did not fully understand. But looking back, we see God's purposes and faithfulness, which have been for our good and ultimately for his glory. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Lighthouse. God has shown his grace and faithfulness to me in so many ways throughout my life in my salvation, in my day-to-day -day provision, and in tremendous answers to prayer. But a specific example of his providential care and sanctifying work was when he brought Bob through a serious health trial and worked in me to show me what it is to trust him in the uncertainty of life. One night about 10 years ago, I awoke to find Bob in the middle of a severe seizure. He had never experienced anything like this before. As I grabbed my phone to dial 911, I prayed, my prayer to God was, what do I do, Lord? This was not a prayer for the details of the moment. I could already hear the sirens as the paramedics arrived. But I was pleading with God because I knew that our lives had just changed, and that filled me with fear. Later in the ER, Bob was now recovering, but it was clear that he was not okay. My anxiety and fear grew. Because of some congenital heart issues, they did some testing and decided to admit him. He was hospitalized for five days, but thankfully, he eventually fully recovered. But after Bob was admitted that first night, I went home to get some quote-unquote rest and let him rest as well. This is when my mind went into overdrive. I began overthinking everything. I thought of every worst-case scenario possible. I started down the road of the what-ifs. What if he can't work? What if he's never the same? What is our future going to look like? I finally stopped myself. No, this is not what my mind should be meditating on. 
I turn to Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then I went to Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But I quickly regress back to the what-ifs. I was not trusting the God who saved me. Christ came and lived a perfect life and sacrificed himself on the cross for my sin that I would have life, and yet somehow I was still relying on my own perceived ability to control the situation and to figure out its eventual outcome. So I spent the night with this ping-pong match going on in my head, bouncing back and forth between fear and anxiety, and then grasping after the peace that is promised in God's word. The next morning, I arrived at the hospital, once again anxious over what condition Bob might be in. I found him sitting up in bed with a huge smile on his face. He says, you are never going to believe what happened last night. Oh, what am I not going to believe? He told me that the man in the next bed is homeless, and that he shared the gospel with him last night, and they stayed up until 3 a.m. talking about scripture. Wow, I was so convicted. Here I was, anxious, fretful, conflicted in my self-centered, how-will-this-affect-me attitude, and God presents Bob with this huge gospel opportunity to evangelize this man in need, even as he himself was recovering from a severe trauma. That night revealed that I was not looking to my Savior in my time of need, that I lacked blind trust in God's providential care for Bob and for me. God was gracious and faithful to show me that my dependence was on myself when things got tough. I had turned my eyes off Christ, yet he showed me that his plan was bigger than just affecting Bob and me. At that point, I knew that Psalm 4610 needed to be the meditation of my heart. It says, be still and know that I am God. I would love to say that from that day on, I never, ever overthink or struggle with an anxious heart, but that would be untrue. But in the subsequent trials of another middle-of-the-night seizure a year later, an eventual open-heart surgery, and three months of recovery, God has continued to show grace and patience with me and thankfully complete healing for Bob. He continues to... Our theme, as we've heard, is "'Tis the Season to Remember." Pastor Ryan reminded us to remember God's faithfulness. And then for the next few minutes, I'd like us to remember the love of our Savior. Often we think about God's love, we think about the cross and the gospel message. But Christmas allows us to expand our view of God's love by seeing his love in the cradle. The reason for this is that God, God the Father's love can be seen in sending his son to earth. When I was a kid, delivery trucks didn't stop at our house often. So when they did, my brother and I knew it was for something special. That's why during Christmas time, we would listen for the UPS delivery truck. And those early evenings when the truck screeched in front of our house, we knew something special was awaiting for us, and they were gifts. I didn't fully realize it then, but my grandmother and aunties and uncles who lived out of state sent those gifts because they loved us. They sent those gifts because they were tangible expressions of their love. Jesus Christ being sent into our world tangibly expresses God's love. And this is what 
the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Those four verses pack so much into them, but there's one truth I'd like to highlight from the phrase, God sent forth his son. It is this, God's love is still tangible. Because we may look at the cradle and think, wow, God's love is so awesome, but that was 2,000 years ago. What does it mean for me today? But what we must understand is that Jesus' birth reverberates in our lives today and for all of eternity. Because just think about it, without Christ coming to earth, nothing else regarding salvation would follow. Jesus Christ couldn't be the sinless human representative. He wouldn't personally know the pains and heartache of our broken world. He wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice and we couldn't have our sins forgiven because we would still be under the law. We couldn't become children of the living God and we couldn't live forever in the new heaven and the new earth. But the Galatians passage says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Each and every day we can experience the same love that sent Jesus to this earth. Because of God's love, we can be known, we can be forgiven, we can have purpose, we can be listened to, we can be comforted, And because in love, because God sent forth his son. So when we remember the cradle, let us remember God's love then and today. We now get to hear from Sierra Masumi, who'll be sharing how her ordinary life is actually filled with extraordinary graces because of God's love. Hi, my name is Siermi Sumi, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to tell you about God's graciousness and faithfulness in my life. A little, bit, a little bit about me before I begin. I'm a fourth year in college at FITM in downtown LA, and I grew up here in, in Torrance, and I've also had the blessing and privilege to grow up here at Lighthouse. Tonight, I want to share with you all a few of the many ways about how God has showered his love and grace upon me. My testimony may not be filled with extraordinary events or dramatic trials, and I was actually nervous when I was asked to share because my life doesn't have any major trials or losses that I've had to overcome. Yet through it all, I witnessed the relentless graciousness and mercy of God's love in my everyday life. One of the many ways I've seen his goodness in my life has been through the community here at Lighthouse. I've been surrounded by brothers and sisters who have walked alongside of me, pouring into me even in my moments of weakness and in sin. God has been so gracious to place people like disciplers and small group leaders into my life. Their commitment goes beyond mere interactions, but they actively engage in life with me, providing continuous support, encouragement, and prayer. The Friday gatherings with my small group at Beacon and the consistent meetups with my discipler are just a couple examples of of his goodness. 
It's not just one singular conversation that stands out in particular, but the ongoing series of check-ins and discussion as we walk through life together. I also have the privilege to babysit for some families here at Lighthouse, and it's, a, and it's such a blessing to see how their parents are raising their kids in faith. It's both an example and an encouragement to me to be a part of their lives, to witness how God is actively working in their hearts, and it's really nice to be able to connect with Lighthouse members throughout the week to learn from their wisdom and experiences. These relationships are a constant reminder of God's goodness and graciousness towards me, and their love and support are just one of the many reminders of God's faithfulness in my life. Another way I've seen God's grace and faithfulness is through the friendships that I have formed, more specifically the sisters God's placed in my life. These friendships have quickly become, become a cornerstone of my faith, and they encourage me in my walk and ask questions that deepen my understanding of God. A few years ago, I didn't know what having friendships rooted in Christ meant in my life. Most of my, first, most of my close friends were with non-believers because of a common bond, like playing on the same basketball team or being in the same class. Because of this, I didn't understand what having friendships based on Christ meant. Reflecting on my Christ-centered friendships, I now understand that there is so much more than just having things in common or similar interests or schedules. Our conversations are uplifting and constantly pointing back to Christ. They are willing to have conversations with me about harder topics because of the love we have experienced through Jesus coming down and dying on the cross for our sins. God has been so gracious to place these friendships into my life, some that I never expected to be friends with because on the surface we don't really have much in common, but solely because of the foundation of our friendship is rooted in the gospel. Many members of Lighthouse have poured into my life and their love is an example to me about how to love like Christ. One small example of this is about two years ago when I was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery because I shattered my elbow. During this long and painful time of recovery, God showed his graciousness to me through members at Lighthouse. I was so blessed and so encouraged when church members stopped by to check in on me to see how I was doing, brought me boba, sent me words of encouragement by writing notes, and more, most importantly, asked how they could be praying for me. To this day, I am still so touched and encouraged by these acts of love. These seemingly ordinary gestures were more than just small gestures to me. They were acts of love and kindness that only the gospel can produce and an example to me about how to love others like Christ has loved me. I'm sure I can talk for hours about examples like this, but the community here at Lighthouse is a reflection of, of God's love and grace, and I couldn't be more grateful. While there are so many ways that God has been gracious to me, one of the biggest ways is through my, is through my family, specifically my parents. I grew up in a Christian household, and my parents were always people that I looked up to. They led my siblings and I well by always pointing us back to God. Growing up, I didn't always get along well with them. I mean, I was a teenager, so of course I was going to argue with my parents. But after these small little fights, many of which I was usually in the wrong for in the first place, they would always apologize to me, showing me an example of what humility looks like. They always led our conversations back to God, whether it was about school or sports, and they always gave me advice that ultimately pointed back to the cross. As I reflect on these instances of love and grace, I am reminded of 1 John 419 we love because he first loved us. The relationships that have been placed into my life consistently reflect God's goodness and his love towards me. As we approach the Christmas season, my heart is filled with gratitude because this time of year serves as a reminder of the ultimate act of love, God sending his one and only son, Jesus, down to earth to live a perfect life and one day die on the cross for our sins. May this Christmas season be a time of joy and gratitude as we celebrate the incredible gift of God's love through the birth of Jesus. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. 
The steadfast love of, our, of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you. Christmas really is a, a season for hope. Right This morning we looked at the idea that a weary world rejoices. But what is the line that precedes that? The thrill of hope. It's hope that allows a weary world to rejoice. And, and yet how, how do we understand this? Because hope isn't just a Christian thing, right? Hope is all around us. Do you remember when you were a kid, hope was about what present would you get? I remember asking for some pretty strange things as a kid. Uh, I really wanted a hang glider. Uh, surprisingly, my parents didn't get that for me. But if you're like me, you have these vivid memories, right, of, of asking for some particular gift, and then for the rest of the Christmas season, you have this hope that maybe your parents or your grandparents or Santa or someone will get it for you. And then as the days to Christmas grew closer, uh, the days themselves seemed to grow longer, your anticipation grows as your patience shrinks. But hope in this case was kind of this desire for something, but this almost fearful anticipation, right? Uh, you, you wanted it, but you might not get it. You had dreams of how happy you would be if you, you got that latest toy or those shoes that you were convinced would make you cool. But at the same time, you had nightmares about getting that sweater that doesn't fit, but you'd have to, be wear, you'd have to wear anyways. And so in that case, hope was, it was about desire and, and possible outcomes and anticipation and anxiety all intermingled into one. But here's something to consider. Now that we are older, for many of us, our understanding of hope isn't much different. Hope is still the idea of just really wanting something, but being fearful that we might not get it. But Christmas should remind us that as Christians, our hope is different. Why? Because as Christmas, the hopes of, um, because as, as Christians, we find our hope in Christ himself. As we just sang, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. It would have been cool if I sang that, but also very distracting. So <laughs> what does this mean? That Jesus is why we have hope. Right? And this changes everything because no longer do we need to worry about potential outcomes. We actually just hope in the giver and trust that whatever gifts he gives us are what's good for us. So this Christmas season, may Romans fifteen thirteen echo in our hearts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Right now, we get to hear the testimony of Justin, Adrian, and Joe, and how they find their hope in our Lord. Well, good evening, Lighthouse, and Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm Justin Joe, and this is my lovely wife, Adrian. Um, when we were asked to share a testimony by Pastor Kim, my first reaction for my role was, can I just uh, sing a worship song instead? <laughs> or maybe play some instrumental guitar in the background while Adrian speaks. Uh, I think that my struggles with figuring out what to share about is that I couldn't think of a, of a particularly dramatic trial or difficulty. Um, overall, I would consider much of my life also to be ordinary. 
I live a fairly comfortable South Bay lifestyle in which the situations of my life resemble the temperature in this climate, not too many extreme highs or lows. But I was reminded that God deserves the glory for all of his great faithfulness, even in the mundane rhythms of life. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And I was reminded that includes those majority of my mornings that begin with just drinking a cup of coffee and answering emails at work. So even though I won't be singing as part of my testimony, I do want to share how God has used his provision of music and songs to be a great blessing to me in my life. I grew up in a home where my dad was always singing and playing guitar, and I thank God that he placed my dad as an example for how to steward a gift and use it to faithfully serve others. By no means are either of us professional musicians, but God has been gracious to allow musical opportunities to invite us to walk alongside family members and church members during seasons of celebration at weddings and seasons of mourning at funerals and memorial services. Being able to serve on various worship teams together with other musicians on a regular basis has also brought some wonderful friendships over the years as well. When we were able to gather in person once again after things reopened from COVID, I realized that one of the things I had taken for granted the most was hearing the church sing together on Sundays and at small groups, both in praising God, but also acting as an encouragement to one another to remind ourselves of biblical truths. Some of these lyrics of the songs we sing together have helped fuel my faith throughout the entire week. When I find myself checking my bank accounts and 401k investments too frequently, and I'm tempted to trust in money instead of God, it helps me to remember that my worth is not in what I own. Or when in my pride and impatience I grow frustrated with employees on my team that are struggling at work, I am reminded of God's immense patience for me despite my faults and sins through these lyrics in the song, His Mercy is More. Uh, What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I'm very grateful for the blessings God has brought to Adrian and myself uh, through Lighthouse and that it has become a church family for the both of us. It's been a community that has encouraged us, prayed for our family members in times of sickness or loss, and has challenged us to grow spiritually and examine the idols of our hearts. While being here at Lighthouse, I have learned how my heart is designed to worship God alone, but other things like the approval of people or success compete for the love and devotion that rightly belong to God alone. In 2020, Justin and I were newly married, and I had recently started working as a midwife. My new season of life, educational achievements, and dream job made me feel like I had, quote, finally made it. And uh, being new at work, I wanted to make a good impression and worked extra 24-hour shifts whenever I was asked. I prioritized my work schedule over everything else, Sunday worship, serving, and my marriage. And in his love for me, God allowed me to reap what I had sown, 
the natural consequences of my decisions to pursue professional achievement and other people's opinion of me as my source of comfort and security. As a result, I was almost constantly stressed, anxious, sleep deprived, and it was negatively affecting my relationship with Justin. And one day, while I was talking with Justin, he pointed out how I was finding my identity in, um, in my job instead of in Christ. And God helped me to see that if I continued to live that way, I was on a road bound for ruined marriage, burnout, and a heart that didn't fully love God. In God's sovereignty, the company I was working for changed owners, which led me to leave that job. And God graciously used the six months that I was in between jobs to draw my heart back to himself and away from my idols of people-pleasing and achievement. In the turmoil of those months, God's comfort came through sermons here at Lighthouse, book recommendations, and reflecting on the gospel. One verse that encouraged me was Romans 5.8, which says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel severs my sin of people-pleasing so that I am free to rest in God's love for me. I started to see because Jesus purchased me with his own blood, my worth was already established. I didn't need to earn it. During that time, Justin would often text me the song, um, My Worth Is Not In What I Own, to remind me that as the song says, my worth is not in skill or, my worth is not in skill or a name, in win or lose or pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. In one of his sermons, Pastor Kim recommended the book, The Gospel at Work, by Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert, which was so helpful. And one of the men at Lighthouse um, gave Justin the book Gospel Treason, Betraying the Gospel with Hidden Idols by Brad Bigney. So I read that too. Um, and I started to see that I continually need God's grace to love and trust him over anything or anyone else as my source of comfort and security. About three months after leaving my first job as a midwife, um, I asked a group of women to pray for me as I con considered applying for a new job. And uh, one of the women reminded me that as a midwife, I get to be there as babies are being born, but people need to be spiritually reborn too. And she prayed that I would not only be a midwife of physical life, but also of new life in Christ as well. Fast forward to this year, and God answered that prayer. Uh, through serving with Spectrum, which is Lighthouse's ministry to international students, I had the opportunity to facilitate a Bible study series with one of our students. Uh, and during those Bible study conversations, I had a front row seat to seeing God draw this student to himself and reveal the gospel to her. And it's been such an encouragement to me to see her joy at receiving God's generosity and grace towards us. Getting to witness God's work in her life has been a sweeter joy than any of the accolades or achievements that I'm tempted to strive for. And I'm thankful that God graciously unmasked the emptiness of my idols so that I can better savor his goodness and mercy towards me.
Right now we're going to close our time by singing a couple of songs of worship. And as their tradition, the second song will be Silent Night and we'll do a, a candle lighting. Um, so during that second song, some of the ushers will come down the aisles and they'll light the candle of the, the person on the aisle and then you can light them down. <clears throat> I think the key to remember is that if your candle is lit, to hold it straight. And if you're not, that's kind of where, you know, so we're going to try to limit the wax spreading if we can. Uh, so just if yours is lit, keep it straight. And the person who's lighting will kind of, will lean into it. But the first song we're going to sing right now is a song that's familiar if you're part of Lighthouse. But in light of what we've heard about, faithfulness and love and hope, I pray that the words would be especially powerful as we remind one another that we can come to God even when we feel broken. The name of the song is, O Come, All You Unfaithful. A few lines say this, O come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken, come, taste of his perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run, see what your God has done, Christ is born. And again, we hope that you'll pause and consider your own life, your own sin, your own suffering, and see them in light of our Savior who was born 2,000 years ago. Will you stand and join us in worship?
Let's pray. Dearly Father, every year we, we, we end the service with our candle lighting to remind ourselves that uh, 2,000 years ago, the light of the world entered into our darkness. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can spend an evening reflecting and, and remembering your faithfulness, your love, the hope we find in you, to hear testimonies of your goodness and your kindness in people's lives, not just in the good, but in the, the hard, to know that you were always there, relentlessly being faithful. And so we thank you, Lord, for an evening like this. It is precious. And I pray that it would encourage our hearts, even over the next uh, days and weeks, to continue to reflect on our Savior. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You can blow out your candles, maybe hold them upright for a moment or two while they cool off. Uh, but that's the end of our service. We did want to, you know, for those of you who are visiting, want to invite you to come to our services coming up next Sunday and the, the following Sundays. We would love to worship with you. But with that, we can uh, stand and fellowship with one another. God bless you.